Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus and his church, amen, Jesus and his church, and specifically Jesus as our great and faithful high priest, amen, and that is not only in the sense that we typically consider it from the book of Hebrews in the office of making intercession for us, but also in ministering to us. Amen? In ministering to us to keep us as his people shining bright for the glory of God. Amen? So we praise God that Jesus is both the Lamb that was offered for us, and he is the great and faithful high priest that has offered himself on our behalf and always making intercession between the Father and us by his blood. Amen? And so praise God, he makes intercession for us, but not only that, he ministers to us as his church, as his people, the people that he said in Matthew would be the light of the world. And he is that faithful high priest that comes and trims the wick and fills the oil. Amen? So Revelation chapter 1, we'll look, we'll start in verse 4. So he says, John says in Revelation 1 verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and his and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And so skip with me to verse 10. Verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's Sunday. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's the Lord's day. And he says, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And so I want to go from there to chapter 2. Go from there to chapter 2. 
Well, let's look at the last verse. I'm sorry. The last verse, verse 20. He says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so he says that in his right hand, he holds the uh, the seven angels or the messengers of the church. And if you study the context that bears this out, the word angel simply means messenger. Amen? Messenger. There's not a special word for heavenly angels uh, and earthly messengers. The word messengers is used of heavenly angels. And so here in this place, he says his messengers, the people sent on his behalf to represent him with a message, he says, They are in his hands, and the seven churches are in his hands. And so here is Jesus portrayed as the faithful high priest. Listen to what he says uh, in the beginning of our passage uh, when he says in verse 13, In the midst of the lamb stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This fit the uniform of the priests in the Old Testament, that they would have this long flowing garment, and then about their chest they would have uh, another garment representing the idea that they were carrying the people. Do you remember that? They would have uh, this vest that they would put on, and on the shoulders and on the chest were 12 stones, representing that Jesus is always carrying his people, the people of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel and and Jerusalem, the 12 tribes, that he carried them on his chest. He's bearing their burdens and carrying them, but also he carries them close to his heart. And so here, he's portrayed as having this golden girdle around his chest. And so the point this morning is that when Jesus revealed himself to John, He revealed himself as the one who is our faithful high priest. Amen? He is our faithful high priest. And what you'll find in all of the letters to the seven churches, because that's what we're going to study this morning, is the letter to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And in all of the letters, there is a specific description of Jesus because all of the things that he's going to address as this is a problem in the church, all of it stems from a deficiency in their view of Jesus. Amen? Praise God. Amen? This is the point of the whole scripture, that whenever your heart and your life doesn't look the way that God wants it to look, there's something that you're missing about who the Lord is. Amen? And the answer is not in just more goals and more efforts to make yourself better. The answer is always to see Jesus. Amen? And so whatever season you find yourself in, whatever you're going through in life, the greatest need that you have is a fresh vision of Jesus. Amen? It's for God to show you himself so that in seeing him, it will change the way that you view the world and change the way that you live. And so he is revealing himself to these churches as the faithful high priest who is not only interceding on their behalf, but is also making sure that they're burning bright. Amen? And so the seven churches are portrayed as golden lampstands, these golden lampstands. 
The point of this is to say that each of these churches had a specific and unique role in the purposes of God in that day and time. Amen? And so this is the way that it's always been throughout history, is that there are people who are generally God's people. We're all God's people. If we're saved, born again, believe in Christ, then we're his people. Amen? But there are specific churches, specific places and times that he raises up as an example, as a leader, as a forefront to lead into what God's doing. Amen? And we can look around our nation and we can point out people in our state or in our country or in the Western world or in other parts of the world and say all of those churches, if they're rightly believing the gospel and walking after Jesus, are his people, but there are specific ones that he's raised up to a privileged and responsible position to lead other people. Amen? And that their decisions affect other people. Amen? Other people see them and they shine the way that they shine. Amen? You can tell who a church listens to and follows by the things that they do, the things that are happening in the culture of their church, the way they worship, the way they sing, the way that they preach. Amen? How many of you grew up maybe for a long time in one particular church? That was your whole world, and then maybe you went to another church and you were like, that's how other people do church? That's how they sing songs? That's how that preacher preaches? That's how they take up offerings? That's just everything about it was completely different because your whole world was the way that things were done. Those people were following someone's example. Amen? All of us are following someone's example. And he says, these seven churches were raised up in their region to be examples to other churches. And they had these privileged positions of being lifted up as an example to shine and to represent Christ and the living of Christianity before other churches. That's why he names the specific churches. There were other churches, right? Lots of other churches, but these seven churches he specifically raised up to be examples. He says, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergam, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And each of these churches had their own unique culture, their own unique personality. They all had their own uh, way of doing things. They all followed their culture in different ways. And all of us are going to look something like the culture around us. Amen? If you were a Christian in 50 AD, you were probably in Jerusalem and you probably dressed the ways that Jews dressed, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, Peter goes and he preaches the gospel in Samaria. And now they're Christians and they sort of look the way that the Samaritans look and and so on and so on. But they begin to have to deal with Okay, here are things about our culture that are maybe good and can be preserved and we just need to be sanctified and changed. And there are other things going on in our culture that we need to completely abandon. Amen? Praise God. Can you think of some things in the United States of America or Louisiana that you say, here are some good things, here are some personality types or characteristics of our culture around us that are not going to disappear from our life. We're still going to look that way, sound that way, but there are things that are common and typical in our culture that tempt me to act the way that they act, to do the things that they do, to make the priorities that they make, and those things pull me away from Jesus. And the, the issue is learning to walk with Jesus the way he wants us to instead of being 
affected and shaped by the culture around us. Amen? And to be an example in that culture of Jesus. Well, Jesus sees these seven churches, and he says to all of them, here are some good things that you're doing. Here are some not good things that you're doing. Here is some praise for how you're living like me, and these are ways that you are truly being lights in the world. And here are other ways that you are not. And the oil is getting full of silt and soot. Maybe it's getting clumpy and it's not flowing the way that it should. Maybe the flax is wearing out. It's getting burnt and crispy and there's no new. And you're starting to fill the place with smoke. And Jesus is saying, as your high priest, I'm not shocked, amen? I'm not surprised. My very role is to come and trim the wick and fill the oil and to make sure that it's flowing. But surely enough, he comes to some of them and they're okay. There's no problem. The oil is flowing. It's pure and clean. The wick is trimmed. And he just has praises and encouragement. Praise God for the things that you're doing. But most of the churches are like me. It starts off with, hey, son, I love you. And then, but we got to talk. Amen? And that's how he's talking to some of these churches is, here are good things that you're doing, but here are other things that need to be changed. Amen? So let's look at our text this morning, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. He says, and to the church or to the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you that you would open our eyes to see your word, and I ask you that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to our church, to us. And Lord, that you would help us to be lights and witnesses, to be examples to the world of this Jesus, that the world would not look at us and despise you because of us. I cannot help but think of Romans chapter 2 where it quotes the prophet that says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
because Israel was called to be a representative of Jehovah and Yahweh. They were called to be a picture of a redeemed people. And yet they refused to be that. But they still carried the banner of Yahweh. They still talked about Yahweh. They still offered sacrifices. They still went to the temple. They still talked about Him, but they didn't live the way that He wanted them to live. And your word says that the people around them mocked them and slandered your name because they brought a reproach upon your name and said, these are your people? These unloving, ungodly, unkind people that harm one another? slander one another, attack one another. They don't love God. They don't love people. They're not who you've called them to be. And your name was blasphemed. And Lord, I ask you to teach us to not be such people, but to be people whose lampstand remains as an example to the world. And Lord, that your people would be able to be examples to others of how they ought to live and follow and to glorify your name. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I'll tell you is the way that he addresses this letter and the way that he addresses all of his letters. It is this, that firstly, Jesus addresses the letter to the angel or the messenger of the church. And this can be understood as probably to mean the chief elder or the pastor or the leader of that church. And so the point is, Jesus is speaking to those who have the leadership and the responsibility of the church. And he's saying, I'm dealing with you, son. I'm dealing with you. You've been given this responsibility to lead my people, to minister to them. And I have praises to give them and I have critiques to give them. I have encouragement to give them, and I have commands to give them. And I am giving you the responsibility to share these things with my people. And so he holds the minister accountable. Amen? Can I tell you, God will judge his ministers. Amen? God will judge his preachers, his pastors, his teachers, his elders, his deacons. He will judge those who have the responsibility to minister to his people. Amen? There are no excuses. Amen? The minister can be like Adam. It was that woman you gave me, Lord. She did this to me. Right? It, it could sound like uh, King Saul. The people pressured me. They pushed me. They wanted this. They said it. It, it can sound like Aaron. The people wanted a golden calf, and so I couldn't do anything but make them a golden calf. But the minister will be judged. Amen? Elders will be judged. Teachers will be judged. Jesus' criticism and praise of the church is addressed to the angel of the church which means he is expected to address the problems in the church and correct them. Can you imagine this man hearing this? And the first thing that he hears is the messengers are in his hands and so is the church. What an encouragement and what a terror. Amen? You're in my hand to lift you up. You're in my hand to tear you down. 
You're in my hand to be encouraged and helped and strengthened. And you're in my hand to be removed. You're in my hand to be refreshed and restored. You're in my hand to be put out. What an awful, wonderful thing to hear that the messenger was in his hand. And after this, he gives him the message. He said, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And the point is that the, that the ministry of this chief priest of ours is to constantly be in our midst and be observing our life. Amen? So, I say to you, Jesus is watching you. Jesus sees you. Jesus keeps an eye on you. He knows the things that you're doing. He knows the state of your heart. He's watching you, but for your good. Amen? Praise God. This is why confession is such a wonderful thing in prayer. Amen? Because we're not surprising the Lord, right? How many times when I first got saved, I would come to God like a nervous little three-year-old. And I'm like, well, I mean, I might have done that. But he already knows. He's watching. He sees. He knows it all. But I can come to him in relief and get it off of my conscience and unburden myself and say, Lord, I failed. I've sinned. I'm discouraged. Or maybe I'm the wick in the candle. I'm burnt. I'm extra crispy. Nothing left to burn. Amen. I'm a whole burnt offering. Amen. You remember the whole burnt offering in the Old Testament? Make your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Hard to be a living sacrifice when it's the whole burnt offering, right? Just everything's extra crispy, just consumed on the altar. And he says, I come to trim the wick and I come to give new oil. And so Jesus is walking in the midst of the church. He's watching us. He sees us. He observes us. He knows what's going on in our hearts. And first, he gives the encouragement. Amen? He graciously acknowledges our efforts to serve him. He says in verse 2 and 3, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus is telling the, the disciples here, the church here, I see the things that you're doing. I see that you're suffering. I see that you're not giving up. I see that you're continuing. You're patiently enduring. You're still serving me and doing works in my name. I see the things that you're doing. And I acknowledge it and I praise you and I say, I'm encouraging you. I want you to know I see what you're doing. This might seem like a small thing until you're in a season where you feel like you've given and given and given and given and no one sees. I wonder how many of you here have secret ministries that no one's ever thanked you for. You've prayed, you've interceded, you've loved, you've served, you've ministered, you've been a witness but you don't hold a microphone, you don't play an instrument, you don't sing, and there's no one to look at you and say, you know, I see how deeply you dug, I see how much you gave, I see how much you interceded. I'll just tell you right now, Jesus sees. Amen? Jesus knows when no one else knows, and all that other people can see are the things to criticize and the things to be upset about. He says, I want you to know I see what you're doing for me. I see how you're serving me. I see how you're faithful. I see how you're obeying. Amen? 
Isn't this encouragement? Because often we don't felt, feel seen. Amen? But he wants us to know that we are seen. And he says in verse 4, in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. I see that you once had a love, you once had a passion to serve God and to walk with God, and that passion just isn't there anymore. When Jesus notices a behavior that inspires others to compromise and becomes a cultural trend within the church, he addresses it. Amen? This is the first thing I want to tell you. Jesus sees that these are his people. They love him. They're serving him. They're still his church. They're still gathering for church. They're worshiping. They're praying. But Jesus is saying, I see something in your heart that is not right, and he addresses it. Amen? He addresses this issue. Can I tell you, if Jesus sees things that are going on in our church, in other churches, he's going to say something about it. He's going to address it. He's going to bring it up. It's uncomfortable. Amen? It's uncomfortable. But the things that Jesus does are not for our comfort. They are for our good. Amen? How many of you can think of examples where Jesus said things that made people uncomfortable? Would Jesus ever make anyone uncomfortable? Would he do that? Would he bring up things that are awkward? Would he, if it's the whole group, would he do it in front of everybody? Hmm? What about when they're arguing? Who's the greatest? Which one of us is best, Jesus? Which one of us is going to be lifted up? And Jesus says, you want to share my throne? James and John, you want to be lifted up to where you're on the throne? Okay, can you drink the cup that I drink? We can drink the cup that you drink, Jesus. Yes, we can. You will drink the cup that I drink. You will have to take the cup of suffering. But to give to sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine. Jesus dealt with his disciples. He dealt with his people. Also, you see what we said a moment ago. When he notices a cultural trend within the church, he addresses it. If Jesus didn't, if Jesus didn't do this, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament. Amen? Half of the New Testament is the Lord showing his apostles, his preachers, his teachers, his ministers, things that are going on in the church and th things that need to be changed. Amen? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I just want you to see. I just want you to see. 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one, verse eleven. Paul starts off right at the beginning of the letter. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. There's quarreling. Hey guys, we got to deal with the quarreling. This is going to be read before the whole church. 
right? Can you imagine how awkward it was for the main people, right? Because surely there are a lot of people who are doing this, but not everyone was doing it. And there are these people who were quarreling and arguing with one another over silly things. Paul's greater, Peter's greater, John's greater. And he's writing a letter going, hey guys, this can't keep happening in the church. This is not okay. And he deals with that. And then in chapter Look with me, chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, he says, it is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you of the kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Think that felt comfortable for that guy? Yeah, the look on your face, that's the look on my face, sis. (laughs) Right? I mean, just awful, right? But he's addressing these are trends that are going on in the church because you're not addressing sexual immorality, and so it's growing in the church. Verse 6, he says, when one of, or chapter 6, verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? The church in Corinth was beginning to go to court with one another and sue one another. And he says, you're embarrassing the house of God because you're supposed to be the church and maybe you shared the gospel with a judge. And then you're going to go to that judge and go, this guy owes me 50 bucks and I want you to either make him give it to me or throw him in jail. He goes, what are you doing? Wouldn't you rather be defrauded and be taken advantage of and just deal with this in the church and, and just... Do that and let the God get away with it rather than defame the name of Jesus? What about in chapter chapter 8? Chapter 8. He says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something and does not yet know as he ought to know, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol is no real existence and that there is only, there is no God but one God. And so he says, yes, some of you are worried that you're going to the marketplace, you're getting meat from there, you're going to eat that meat, but because the person who owns it is a pagan and they offered it to idols, that they are, uh, that by eating that, you're also worshiping the idol that's present. He says, but some of you are more mature and you know, it's just meat. There's no superstition. There's nothing to worry about. God made the cow. We killed the cow. We eat the cow. Praise God for beef. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm giving God thanks. I'm eating it. But other people are going, well, but it was offered to an idol and we're not sure what to do. And he says, look, I get that there are quarrels among you, but don't argue about it. If you don't have a problem with it in your conscience, just go home and eat in private. Don't sit out there with a plate in front of some guy that's starving to death going, praise God for liberty in Christ, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, go home in your house, be private, and eat that food. And then he deals with chapter, let's go to chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 13, or excuse me, verse 1. 
He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so here he is warning these Corinthian believers, some of you think you're so spiritual because you speak in tongues a lot, right? And so you get to church, you're like, everybody's here, all right? Like you just, you just start in and everybody's doing it. And he says, unbelievers are going to come in and go, not today, and then go back out because they think you're nuts. They don't understand what you're doing. God receives your worship, worship and sees that you're praying, but these are things that you're doing, and they're growing trends within the church, and he's got to address them, amen, to help the church be better, amen? And so the point is, he doesn't do this to hurt us. He does it to construct us. How many of you know what constructive criticism is, Amen. Constructive criticism. Constructive criticism means I'm going to point out something that you're doing that's not right, but I'm going to do it with grace, and then I'm going to encourage you to do better and tell you how you can improve on what you're doing because it's important. Amen? And so all the wives said, amen. You're going 64. It's a 59. It's a 55, right? I'm constructively criticized. I don't want you to get a ticket, right? And they said, amen. The point is, that we can say, here are problems that are going on in the church, and if we don't address them, they will become worse. Amen? They will become worse. Everyone will see the example and go, oh, that's what they're doing. That's what I'm going to do. And the point is, when Jesus sees these things beginning to happen, he addresses it. And what does he say to the church? He says... In verse 4, back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. The point is, the whole New Testament, almost the whole New Testament is this. It's God saying to the church, I love you, but there are things that you're doing that are not good. Change it and keep serving me. Amen? He says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. The whole place did this? Isn't this crazy? Think about it. The whole church. Ephesus. This is not like our church. This was not Times Square Church or, uh, or Brooklyn Tabernacle where it's you know 15,000 people in one building. These are a bunch of house churches spread out among the community where you maybe have 15 or 20 people gathering in this house, 50 people gathering in this house, 100 people over here. But it's in a, a whole city and a whole community and they're all spread out and maybe they only are able to get together as a whole body every few months, maybe even once a year for like a conference or something. But the point is all of you are so affected by the same things that are going on in the culture around you and within the church, that as a whole, you've left your first love. It's probably started with one person, maybe two people, maybe 10 people. And then it wasn't corrected, it wasn't addressed, it wasn't dealt with. And before you know it, everybody in the whole church has seen, here's my first love, and it was one step. I mean, I'm not sinning. I've not done anything. Look at the passage. Nothing in it tells you they're sinning. It doesn't tell you that they're worshiping idols. It doesn't tell you that they're fornicating. It doesn't tell you that they're lying. They've not done anything technically that you can point to and say, that is sin. Right? You understand? 
So that what they did was, I love the Lord with all of my heart, and because I love him so much, here are the things that I do. One step away from that love. You step there, I'm going to step there. Okay. Just another step away. I'll be back soon. I'm, I'm, coming, I'm going back. I'll be back. That's where I most want to be in this world. I'm going back. This is just temporary. I still love him with all of my heart. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'm still his people. Amen? He's, we're his people. Amen? They're his church. They are a lampstand. They are representing Jesus to the world. But there's their first love. A little bit further. A little bit further. Just, just a little bit further. But I'll be back. I'm going back. I'm going back to Jesus next week. I'm going to go back and serve him with my whole heart very soon. It's going to happen. I promise you. And together as a body, their hearts were just able to separate themselves from the love of Jesus. And they still loved him. The love was still there. I'm just a few steps separated. I just don't pray the way that I used to. I just don't read the Bible the way that I used to. I just don't love my neighbor the way that I used to. I used to be able to take correction, but now I, I, I've been corrected enough. I don't, I don't want to be corrected anymore. Amen? I, I used to give, but I don't, I don't give anymore. I just, that's not my priority. I've, I've given and I need to. I used to share the gospel with people every chance that I got. And once I get back over there, I'm going to start sharing the gospel again. But I'm just, I'm just tired of the conflict. It's awkward. I just want to shop. I just want to go to Walmart get my stuff, put my stuff in the cart, and just go home, right? They're not stocking up on liquor so that they can get uh, blistered drunk and, and not serve the Lord and go cheat on their wife, right? It's not outright sin. It's nothing terrible. They're just going, I just don't want to serve the Lord as much as I used to. And all of a sudden, they're all the way over here, and there's their first love. And Jesus said, I love you enough that I'm not going to let things stay the way that they are. It's time to start talking about this. It's time to bring it up. It's time to encourage you because it's gone from one person to two people to three people to five people to 20 people. Now it's everybody, and now everybody's not one step away, but there are two steps and three steps and five steps and 10 steps and 20 steps, and their heart just isn't for me anymore. And the next step may be the last step. Amen? Praise God. How many of you remember that song Casting Crowns did? It's a slow fade. You remember that? I love that song. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. It, it doesn't happen all at once. It's over time. It's one decision after another decision after another decision. It's one week and two weeks and three weeks and four weeks and five weeks. It's, it's one service, then another service, then another service. Then it's one lack of forgiveness after another, after another. It's one offense after another. After, it's one time of not praying after another time after another after another. 
when black and white turn to gray, a price will be paid. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. Just one little bit here and there and here and there. He says, I know that you have left your first love. You've left it, and you just don't have it anymore. This may not be a black and white moral issue or an outright sin, just an attitude of the heart that makes people indifferent towards the things of God. But sin is just around the corner. Amen? Sin is just around the corner. Verse 5, what does Jesus tell them? Verse 5 says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Just think about it. Just remember. I'm not telling you immediately go over there. I want you to start reminiscing. I want you to start thinking again about that honeymoon phase. I want you to start thinking about what it was like with that stark contrast. Here is sin that binds me. And now I'm free. Amen? Here is the weight of my guilty conscience. Here is forgiveness and justification. Amen? I want you to remember what it was like when you didn't understand grace and you thought you had to earn it and strive and perform. And all of a, all of a sudden you understood God has done it for me through Jesus Christ and his cross. I want you to remember what it was like to have the joy of the Lord that was not controlled by what happened or what was going on or who liked you or didn't like you. I want you to remember what it was like just to sit at my feet and worship. When is the last time that you were able to just sit before the Lord and worship and you didn't need a song, you didn't need somebody preaching, you didn't need somebody to get you excited, you didn't need some special move of the Spirit, you had just prayed and dwelled on the thoughts of who the Lord is and you just dwelt in His presence and sat at His feet and let Him minister to you. When was the last time? When was the last time that that was everything to you? He says, remember, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And what next? He says, repent and do the works you did at first. Amen? Repent and do the works you did at first. Do the works earn our salvation or earn our standing with God? No. The point is, if you return back to your first love, you'll be doing the things that you were doing before. Amen? Because it's, it's very easy to just come to an altar and cry and get emotional. Say, oh, God, touch me. Help me, Lord. And then go out exactly the way that you came in. And you feel good about it because, you know, I'm, I, I committed myself to return to my first love. But he says, what you need to do is make sure that your heart so returns to the Lord that it transforms you the way that it did before. Amen? Can I remind you this morning that this is not something you have to do under your own strength and power? That it is Jesus Christ, your high priest, who has come for you to trim the wick and to refill the oil? It's simply a willingness to say, I'm willing to be trimmed. Right, That extra crispy part of my heart that's got nothing left to give, Lord, I'm willing to come and submit it to you and let you cut it off. Amen? This part of me that's running out of oil, come and replenish the oil. Come and give me new oil. Come and renew me and strengthen me and help me to serve you. 
And he says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so I just, I want to tell you this morning, the point is that he says to the church, you can lose the place of influence that you have in your community, in the world, the opportunity to be an example. How many of you know what a dead church is? Still believers, they love the Lord, they're saved, they care about the things of God, but their heart is so asleep, nothing can wake them up. I have a dear friend of mine that I love, a faithful, wonderful brother that loves the Lord. And he's gone and taken over a church and been a pastor there for three or four years and served and ministered and labored and just given everything that he has. And yet the people there that were dead and hard and hurt, wounded by things that happened before he got there, are still wounded and hurt, bitter, angry, refuse to move forward, and the church won't progress. It won't move on. It'll get a little bit of progress, and it'll go right back. It'll, it'll put away a few offenses and get some more. It'll start getting warmed up for the Lord and then shut down, and we won't worship, we won't pray, we won't serve, we won't minister. It's a dead church. Dead church. Because the lampstand's been removed. You won't, you won't allow me to trim the wick and fill the oil. Then you'll lose your place. Amen? And so this is why it's so important for us to maintain repentance, confession, walking with Jesus, continually trusting the blood of Jesus to change us and to deal with us to be willing to let God do the things that need to be done in our heart, to be willing to be confronted, to be willing to be challenged, to be willing to let God do what needs to be done in our hearts. Because Christ says, it's either that or you don't get to represent me anymore. Still my people, I still love you, but I'm, I'm not going to have this, this empty lampstand sitting there giving no light. Amen? And so he says, that'll happen unless you repent. And he says, finally and the last, there's a promise of blessing to those who are willing to hear his correction and change their ways. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Very simple. Very simple what he says. Do you have ears to hear? That's all he's asking for. Amen? The difference is there are many people who are saved. They love the Lord, but the Lord has spoken to them, and they've begun to drown it out so much that the Lord would have to burst their eardrum to get their attention again. Right? Right? Isn't that what it says in Isaiah chapter 5? Right? Why will you be smitten again? Right? You stiff-necked people. In other words, he said, I've been, I've been trying to turn you, and you're like a donkey that is so stubborn that you can beat that donkey. And if he's made up his mind, he ain't turning, you're gonna have to break his neck. He says, if you're only willing to hear, 
the things that I say, both the correction and the grace to renew you, if you do that, I'll make sure that you shine. Amen? And so this is the responsibility we have before Jesus as his people, to let him come and trim the wick and fill the oil. Amen? Praise God. Can we take a moment and we just pray for God to help us as his people? This is, this is the desire of my heart that Jesus would give us as his people ears to hear and eyes to see, that we'd be living under the Lord, that we would be able to shine for his name, that we would be able to remain an influence for his kingdom and his glory. Lord, I ask you that you would come and give us ears to hear, to hear what you're saying to the church. Lord, I ask you that you would give great grace to the leaders of this church, not only to the pastors, the elders, and the deacons, those men and women that you've raised up as pillars in the house of God, as examples to the house of the Lord, to lead it by example, to lead it by the wisdom and the grace that you've given them. Lord, that you would allow us to hear the things that you're speaking to the church. And Lord, that you would make your ministers faithful to address one another in love and in correction, to say the things that need to be said, to praise the good that is done in your name, to give encouragement and strength and to refresh and to renew. And Lord, to point out the things that need to be repented of and need to grow. Lord, that you would give us courage and strength to minister to one another. Help us, God, to be faithful, to teach one another, to keep our eyes on Jesus. And Lord, that you would help us to stay close to our first love. God Almighty, help us. God Almighty, teach us. Show us, God. Show us, Lord, where we are in relation to our first love. Let our not, hearts not comfort us if we've drifted from you, but that we're technically not in sin and we technically haven't done anything wrong. Lord, let our hearts yearn and grieve and mourn and shout and cry to you and say, God, teach me to stay close to you. Teach me to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Teach me to stay close to your heart. Teach me, Lord, to maintain this first love, this passion, Lord, for you and the things of God. That I would so love you that I'd serve and love and minister and encourage and be a light to the world and a strength to the church. Help us, God, to be your people. Give us grace. Give us grace. And in all of it, let us see Jesus. Let us see Jesus, that he is here to trim the wick and refill the oil. God Almighty, help us. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.